Hi guys, welcome. I'm Liz Wheeler, this is The Liz Wheeler Show. This episode is a little different than normal. This is uh, exclusive content that we premiered on Locals, on The Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals. This is what we do over on Locals. If there's a Friday news dump, which I don't know if you noticed, but this week there was a tremendous amount of news that was dumped on us right at the close of business day on Friday. On the Liz Wheeler Show community, we react to it live. This was a live stream, in fact, where I was talking with with you guys about what's going on. We talked about the affidavit. I'm sure that you saw that the FBI affidavit was released with heavy redactions. In fact, not to brag here, but yesterday I predicted that the affidavit would be released with the salacious allegations unredacted and all of the sources and methods and witnesses and people and things we need to know to determine whether or not this was legitimate or politically biased that would be redacted. Well, I uh, it brings me no joy to say that I was correct, but we're going to analyze that, or we did analyze that page by page. Join us for that. Also, the FBI, according to Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook or Meta or whatever they call themselves now, the FBI told Facebook to censor the Hunter Biden laptop story. And this is a huge deal. This means the FBI meddled in the 2020 election with disinformation. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the Ashley Biden diary. Two people pled guilty to stealing that diary, which means it was real, which means we should talk about the allegations that are contained within it. I wanted to give you a preview here of of what we do over on the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals. You can join us over there at any time, lizwheelershow.com slash locals. You can use my promo code, which is access to watch for free for the first month of your annual subscription. It's lizwheelershow.com slash locals. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy this preview. Happy Friday, everyone. Thanks for spending your Friday afternoon slash evening with me. Sometimes I think that the breaking news in our country, that they wait until everyone's just about done with work for the week before they drop it all on us. So we have so much to talk about before we head into our weekend. Um... Let me see who's here. We have a lot of people here already. Jomo says, we starting? We are starting. Welcome. TPA Bill says, hi, Liz. Hello. Donette says, hello. Hi. Hi. How are you guys? Where are you guys? I don't know if you can hear. If you hear any rumbling in the background, we are getting uh, massive thunderstorms right now. Hopefully that won't impact the connection, the internet, but you might hear a little grumbling from the thunder. I don't know if you guys are getting rain as well. We have a pond on our property and we have been in such a bad drought that it literally only has an inch or two of water. It's very odd looking. It looks like just a big hole in our yard. So hoping that this fills it up, but we'll see. Casey N says, good evening from Norwood. Is that Norwood, Ohio? Is that Norwood, California? What Norwood are we talking here, Casey? Cerceon says, howdy, howdy. David McKagan, oh, McKagan. Is that how to pronounce your name? We talked about that in the question and answer that, that dropped today, but confirm to me that that is the correct pronunciation because you deserve it. I've mispronounced your name about a dozen times now. (laughs) Um, Cody says, hello from Alberta, Canada. Cody, hello. How is the weather in Alberta, Canada? I imagine it's a little bit colder than here. JoeCo68 says, Sacramento, California. Yeah, it's a shame what they do in California. You guys know that I love California. KCN says, Norwood, Ohio. Oh, that's great. Norwood, Ohio. I played soccer in Norwood, Ohio when I was a kid. That's about 20 minutes from where I grew up. So I hope you're enjoying it. I was just there visiting my parents last weekend. Um, Shady, or Shady, yeah, Shady. Oh, Shady Ann. I thought it said Shane at first. Shady Ann says, howdy from Allen, Texas. Um, Now it must be very, very warm there. I have a sister who lives in Texas and really hot, really hot. TPA is Tampa, Florida. Oh, that's right. Well, you got a little more humidity than I do. 
All right, Cody says, oh, Cody says awesome, 30 degrees Celsius. Cody, Cody, Cody. Here in the United States, we don't know what Celsius means. <laughs> we only speak in Fahrenheit, just like we only, um, we only measure things in cups and pints and quarts instead of in liters. So you're gonna have to speak, you're gonna have to speak American for me if you want me to know what that means. I suppose I could Google it, but you're right here. You can just tell me a lot easier. Um, David McKagan says it's close. I still don't have the pronunciation correct. Well, go ahead, lay it on me. I'll try to get it right. Um, okay, so I'm really happy to see you all. Please keep the comments coming. This will be an interactive, an interactive episode, if you will, or an interactive live stream. But what I want to talk about today is, of course, the affidavit. Did you guys read the affidavit that was released by the judge, the judge Bruce Reinhardt? This is the judge who used to serve as a prosecutor. He was prosecuting Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein, in 2007. Now, in 2007, Jeffrey Epstein was, that was when he got the plea deal that basically he got off with a smack on the wrist. He basically got off scot-free. It was a very shady plea deal. And Bruce Reinhardt was one of the prosecutors on that case. But oddly enough, he quit halfway through that case to become a defense attorney. And his first clients were friends and employees of Jeffrey Epstein. And he shared an address, his new law firm, his new defense practice shared an address, a mailing address with Epstein's primary lawyer. So that's the judge we're dealing with here. He finally released this affidavit. And let's walk through this. I want to talk about this together. We are going to switch this live stream to VIP only. We'll wait just a minute. So anybody who's watching who's not a VIP, just go ahead and upgrade. It'll be worth it, I promise. Um, you can click, I think it just is upgrade or subscribe or become a VIP. The button is right there. So we'll wait just a second to do that. But we are going to switch it over here momentarily. Joe Co says the affidavit that has about 10 words in it. Yes, that's the one. That's the affidavit. Um, Ken Jage says, hello, Liz. Ken here. Hello, Ken. Welcome. I haven't seen your username before. You must be new. We are glad to have you. I'm glad to get to know you on this live stream. All right. We are going to switch it over to VIPs only to talk about the affidavit. We're also going to talk about the Joe Rogan episode with Mark Zuckerberg and what Zuckerberg admitted about the FBI. And we're going to talk about Ashley Biden's diary and the FBI's role in that. So we're going to have a great time. We hope you join us, become a VIP, and we're switching over to that right now. Okay, so of the 32 pages of the affidavit that was released, 20 of them are redacted. Yes, we expected that it would be a highly redacted document. I expected all of the juicy names to be blacked out and a piece of paper. Uh, basically now, digitally, they just black over it. But if you want to cast it back, if you want to throw back to the World War II era when censors physically cut out the words. So you'd get a letter that would have like holes in it where the words that were cut out by censors um, would, were before they were cut out. That's what I expected from this affidavit. I expected that all of the juicy stuff would be cut out and we'd be left with just fragments of sentences. No, 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 no. The FBI didn't want better. They redacted entire pages, 20 entire pages of these 32 pages. And it, they redacted exactly what we predicted that they would react. There were basically two parts to this affidavit. There would be the allegations themselves, the salacious allegations, and then the sourcing for those allegations. Who made this allegation? On what grounds did they make this allegation? What's the probable cause here? What's their credibility? And yesterday, um, I think many of us predicted, this is not a prediction that's original to me, but yesterday we predicted that the allegations would be non-redacted, but the, source, the sources and methods would be redacted, which is of course what we need to know, because if the sources are bitter Trump haters or media outlets that are recycling information that's come from the Department of Justice in the first place, which is the same playbook they used in Russiagate, 
then we need to know. We need to know if these are credible allegations, and we can't take we can't take the FBI's word for it because they are liars. RJ Quinnen says, hi, Liz, tuning in from Boston. Hello. I heard it's very hot there today. Um, okay. So of these 20 pages, what exactly did we learn? Well, the best that we can tell, the best that we can tell about the justification, why the FBI felt that they had to raid Mar-a-Lago, or I'm sorry, not raid. We're not allowed to say that word, right? Why they paid this visit to Mar-a-Lago. The best that we can tell is because they didn't want to set up a secure storage facility at Mar-a-Lago. Yep. They did for Obama in Chicago. They converted an entire storage unit for his 30 million pages of documents. They converted it into a secure storage facility, but they didn't want to do that at Mar-a-Lago in a compound that's completely secured by Secret Service already. So make of that what you will. There are also parts of this affidavit that make it very clear that classified documents had very little to nothing to do with the raid. This was actually a dispute between the National Archives and Donald Trump's, well, the former Trump administration, the National Archives. But wait until wait until you hear what the National Archives was trying to get their hands on. The other part of this affidavit, this is the part that I actually found quite interesting, is the description. This was Margot Cleveland's theory a couple days ago. We talked about it on the show. Her theory was that the former National Archivist of the United States is a character similar to Alexander Vindman. Alexander Vindman, as you remember, played a pivotal role in impeachment hoax number two. He was on the National Security Council, and it was really Alexander Vindman who created the so-called whistleblower that told uh, told publicly, told us publicly that Trump was engaging in a quid pro quo with Ukrainian President Zelensky. Now we we saw the readout from that call. We know that it what that wasn't the case. But Vindman was the person who really orchestrated that. He was one of the ones who had listened in on that call, and he gave that information um, to the whistleblower because he had a policy disagreement. His policy disagreement was he worked for President Trump, but he hated President Trump. So Margo Cleveland had this theory that the former National Archivist of the United States was a it was a Vindman 2.0 character, that he also hated President Trump and was looking for a way to take him down. I'm not going to repeat everything from that show. If you want to go listen to that, um, I'm, Matt can put a, Matt, my producer can put a link to that under this live stream when we are when we're finished with the live stream, unless Matt, you happen to know which episode number that was off the top of your head. But if you do, you're a better, you're a better person than me because I don't remember the number of it. But what we found in this affidavit is in fact corroboration for Margot Cleveland's theory that this former national archivist was mad that he thought he, as a bureaucrat in the federal government, had more power than a former president or a current president at the time, more power than a current president to determine how classified materials are handled or even non-classified materials that just fall under the Presidential Records Act. So from what we can see of the 18 out of 32 pages that are not fully redacted, this is another partisan witch hunt. This is a fishing expedition. This is the FBI abusing their power. They're trying to get President Trump. They're trying to use those. They are doing the Mark Elias the Mark Elias strategy that we talked about before that Mark Elias had tweeted about, Mark Elias being the Democrat super lawyer who was the one that constructed the strategy on how to electioneer the 2020 elections at the beginning of COVID before the election happened. Mark Elias instructed the media on Twitter to properly, when I say properly, to parrot the propaganda of the Democrats, which is to say it wasn't necessarily that there were documents of high classification that were a national security risk, but rather that by concealing any documents that fell under the Na- or the Presidential Records Act, President Trump could be convicted, serve prison time, pay a fine, and lose his right to run for president in 2024. That 
is the key part of this. Of course it is. This was the justification behind the raid. I published an article in Newsweek last week titled Abolish the FBI, and I actually got a lot of blowback for that article from people in the conservative movement and elected Republicans who thought that I was being too extreme. They said, Liz, that's kind of hyperbolic. The FBI serves a very vital function in our nation. We need a federal law enforcement apparatus. And I said, okay, of course we do. So take the vital functions of the FBI and farm them out to different agencies and raise the rest because the FBI is so corrupted to its core, it cannot be saved. It has weaponized the power of the federal government against private citizens for political grievances over and over again. And when there's no accountability, and there hasn't been accountability for the FBI doing this, it becomes emboldened and they do it again. How many times have they targeted President Trump? We have to abolish the FBI. There were a couple of notes that I wanted to point out in this affidavit. So a couple of notes. Remember the strategy that that the mainstream media took part in during Russiagate in, in tandem with the Department of Justice. So what would happen is the Department of Justice would leak something anonymously to the New York Times or the Washington Post or CNN, and the New York Times, Washington Post, or CNN would publish this thing that was leaked to them anonymously by Intel officials or DOJ officials. And then the DOJ would take what was published by, by the New York Times, the Washington Post, or CNN, and use that as justification for obtaining a warrant or as probable cause. Now, clearly that's unfair. Clearly that's unjust. It's borderline illegal. It's certainly unethical. But it was this vicious circle where the Department of Justice was actually just recycling their own reasons and using that as corroboration or justification for spying on President Trump. That's what they did to Carter Page. And it, it, it was... It's such a sketchy tactic. It's clever because it's hard to catch if we're being very honest. But the mainstream media is taking part in this strategy again. The Department of Justice wasn't held accountable for doing this, and so they are doing it on repeat. In the affidavit, this is what it says. According to a CBS Miami article titled Moving Trucks Spotted at Mar-a-Lago, published Monday, January 18th of 2021, at least two moving trucks were observed at the premises on January 18th, 2021. The next several paragraphs are completely blacked out, completely redacted. But what does this tell us? This tells us that part of the justification that the FBI gave to this judge, part of their argument about why raiding Mar-a-Lago and raiding President Trump was necessary was based on a news article that CBS saw moving trucks at Mar-a-Lago the scandal, the crime, the probable cause. A president and his family who are moving from Washington, D.C., from the White House to his private residence in Mar-a-Lago in Florida. <gasps> moving trucks. How many of us, how many of us have used a moving truck? Are we setting ourselves up for the same FBI raids? We can joke about it and we should mock it because this is eminently mockable. It's also much more serious than that because it's the same tactics that they're using again. Note that from note that from the affidavit. Next note. Okay. This is under the section marked probable cause, subsection NARA referral. Remember, NARA is the National Archives. It says, on February 9th of 2022, the special agent in charge of NARA's Office of the Inspector General sent the NARA referral via email to the Department of Justice. The NARA referral stated that according to NARA's White House Liaison Division Director, a preliminary review of the 15 boxes indicated that they contained, quote, newspapers, 
magazines, printed news articles, photos, miscellaneous printouts, notes, presidential correspondence, personal and post-presidential records, and a lot of classified records. So according to the Department of Justice's own affidavit, their justification for why they staged this raid, this unprecedented raid, was because some bureaucrat at the National Archives had his panties in a wad because President Trump took some newspapers, magazines, and printed news articles in boxes to Mar-a-Lago. Yup. Plus, don't you wonder who, who is this special agent? When it says the spe- on February 9th, the special agent in charge of NARA's office of the inspector general, who is this person? This is the person who referred this case, quote unquote, to the inspector general's office. Or referred from the Department of Justice, from the inspector general's office to the Department of Justice. Who is this person? I'd be very, very interested in the background of this person. Very interested. My prediction would be this person is an Alexander Vindman type person. An Alexander Vindman type person. This is what we're dealing with right now. So I'll ask you, do you think it's too extreme? Do you think it's too hyperbolic to abolish the FBI? Or is that the only thing, the only thing that we can do, the only thing that we can do in order to protect our country, our, our rule of law from a law enforcement apparatus that has completely been completely derelict in their duty. I'm looking at some of your comments. Dismantle the administrative state. Joko says, amen to that. That's the only way, the only way, oh my gosh. Of course, my producer, Matt, actually did know which episode I was talking about. So he posted that, Matt. You're amazing. Okay, that's story number one. Story number two is the FBI actually told big tech to please censor the Hunter Biden laptop story. We know this because Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook or Meta or whatever they call themselves now, went on Joe Rogan's podcast. And Rogan, who (laughs) pretends to be like casual and pretends to have this like, well, hmm, let me think about it. Like a little, not a dumb demeanor, but a little bit of 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 a dumbed down demeanor, asked Zuckerberg about this. And this is what Zuckerberg said. How do you guys handle things when they're a, a big news item that's controversial? Like there was a lot of attention on Twitter during the election because of the Hunter Biden laptop story. The New yeah, York we Post. Yeah, we too. Yeah, so you guys censored that as well? So we took a different path than Twitter. Um, I mean, basically the background here is the FBI, I think, basically came to us, uh, some, some folks on our team, and was like, hey— um, just so you know, like you should be on high alert. There was the, we we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of of um, uh, that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. So our protocol is different from Twitter's. What Twitter did is they said you can't share this at all. Um, we didn't do that. What, what we do is we have. Um, if something is reported to us as potentially um, misinformation, important misinformation, we, we also have this third-party fact-checking program because we don't want to be deciding what's true and false. And for the, I think it was five or seven days when it was basically being, um, being determined whether it was false, um, 
the distribution on Facebook was decreased, but people were still allowed to share it. So you could still share it. You could still consume it. So when um, you say the distribution is decreased, in, it, it got shared. It, how does that work? It basically the ranking in newsfeed was a little bit less. So fewer people saw it than would have otherwise. So it definitely by what percentage? I, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's 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 meaningful. But I mean, but basically, a um, a lot of people were still able to share it. We got a lot of complaints that that was the case. Um, you know, obviously this is a hyper-political issue. So depending on what side of the political spectrum, you either think we didn't censor it enough or censored it way too much. But right. but we weren't sort of as black and white about it as, as Twitter. We just kind of thought, hey, look, if, if the FBI, which you know, I still view as a legitimate institution in this country, it's like very professional law enforcement, they come to us and tell us that we need to be on guard about something, then I want to take that seriously. Did they specifically say you need to be on guard about that story? I, I no, I, I don't remember if it was that specifically, but it was it basically fit the pattern. Cody nineteen eighty seven says pretty much admits to censoring. Hmm. Well, yes. He Mark Zuckerberg does admit to censoring. And remember that word that he said, I don't know the percentage, but it was meaningful. Of course it is. I can tell you as someone who whose content has run afoul of Mark Zuckerberg's so-called independent fact-checkers, which are not independent, oftentimes funded by Facebook, sometimes funded by entities tied to the Chinese Communist Party. They are not independent. I can tell you that when your content is deprioritized the way that he's describing, it is extremely meaningful, meaning it is the way to fully censor someone without canceling them. So all Mark Zuckerberg is doing is trying to maintain some moral high ground by saying, well, we didn't censor it. But he did 99 out of 100 censoring. That's almost to full cancellation. So the word meaningful, the, the larger picture here isn't even what Facebook did. We know Facebook does this and it's wrong and they should be held accountable according to Section 230 and Congress should take action and all of that. But the larger picture here is that the FBI meddled in the 2020 election. The FBI told Facebook to be on the lookout for this particular story and to censor it. This is potentially big enough to have impacted the outcome of the 2020 election. 30% of, of Democrats shortly after the election, said that if they had thought the Hunter Biden laptop story was real, they would have reconsidered their vote for Joe Biden. We wouldn't have needed a full 30% of Democrats to reconsider their vote. We would have needed a tiny fraction of Democrats. So if even a few of those people had changed their minds, President Trump could be in the Oval Office right now. A new poll shows that nearly 80% of Americans in both parties think that if people were aware of the Hunter Biden laptop story, then President Trump would have won that election. The FBI was behind that. It wasn't Facebook taking that move of their own volition. It was the FBI, an arm of the federal government, an agency of the executive branch of the federal government coming into Facebook and saying, censor this, we don't want people to see this. And what's worse is the FBI used disinformation. They used this lie that it was Russian propaganda. They knew it wasn't Russian propaganda. They had the laptop. They knew it was true. They used misinformation and disinformation, not just misinformation, according, according to the fact checkers. This is disinformation because you intended to propagate false information to stifle us, to stifle the story, to back Joe Biden, and to defeat Donald Trump. This is, this is 
one of the ways that our judicial system should be able to prevent big tech censorship. Because big tech ostensibly has the right to decide what is said on their platform. They're a private entity. But when they become actors of the state, when they act on behalf of the government, then they are no longer acting as a private company. If they are acting on behalf of the state, then everybody that uses their platform is entitled to the full protection of the First Amendment of the United States, which protects our right to free speech. Jen Psaki, when she was press secretary, admitted that the White House sent lists of people who were posting and talking about COVID-related information that the White House didn't like, and big tech used that list to censor and cancel and deplatform those people. That is big tech acting as an arm of the state. This is the FBI telling big tech to act in a certain way about a particular story, stifle people's First Amendment rights. That's a violation of the law. Facebook no longer enjoys the protection of a private company if they're acting as the stooge of the FBI. That's the significant part of the Mark Zuckerberg clip. Not that Facebook censors in and of itself. That's bad, it's stupid, we all hate it, it's infuriating, it's wrong. But this is illegal. If the FBI, Biden's FBI directed, or I guess it wasn't Biden's FBI yet, but it was an FBI in the tank for Biden under the Trump administration, which is probably even worse because it shows how corrupt the deep state is, even when a Republican is the chief executive, meaning the FBI should be operating as if they are part of that administration because they are. And people say I was too extreme for saying abolish the FBI. Please, please. That is just the beginning, just the beginning. Then we have the Ashley Biden diary. Remember this story, guys. Project Veritas, James O'Keefe, and two of his journalists were raided by the FBI. We're talking full pre-dawn raids where the FBI agents barged in their homes and violated their privacy, rifled through their private belongings. They had their phones and their, their electronics confiscated by the FBI, not because they were accused of doing anything wrong. None, nobody associated with Project Veritas has been accused of committing a crime but because tipsters had offered the diary of Ashley Biden, who is the daughter of President Joe Biden, to Project Veritas. Now, at the time that this story broke, when James O'Keefe and Project Veritas announced this, the Biden administration denied that this diary was real. What Project Veritas did when they got their hands on this is they actually took it to the FBI. They tried to give it back to Ashley Biden as a way to authenticate it, and she denied that it was hers. They denied that it was Ashley Biden's. Well, now two people have pled guilty to stealing Ashley Biden's diary, which substantiates the fact that it's real. If it's real, then we should talk about the contents. What's in this diary? What's in this diary is disturbing allegations from Ashley Biden, who struggles with substance abuse, who blames some of her addiction problems on her father and the fact that she claims he took inappropriate showers with her when she was like seven or eight years old. but the FBI raided the journalists. Journalists, by the way, even if, this, even if this diary was stolen, and I think it's a very murky, a very murky area whether it was actually stolen or not because Ashley Biden left it at a house she had been staying at. She abandoned it and someone else took it and tried to sell it. Now, that's a murky area whether you have a responsibility to return that property to its rightful owner or whether you can sell it, whatever. We can litigate that if you want. But more importantly, the FBI rated journalists, journalists who are allowed to possess stolen documents because that's part of your, your freedom of the press. 
That's who the FBI raided. This is the FBI. I don't know, I don't know anybody who can have confidence in an FBI who behaves in this way. This is what they've done. The FBI spied on Trump in 2015 and into 2016. They concocted Russiagate by lying, by using Russian misinformation that was compiled by a foreign spy that was put together for Hillary Clinton and purchased by the DNC and Hillary's campaign and used that to try to unseat a duly elected president. The FBI calls parents who are against critical race theory in school, they call us domestic terrorists. The FBI raided journalists at Project Veritas. The FBI staged the fednapping of Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. The FBI probably encouraged and incited and entrapped people on January 6th. The FBI told Facebook to censor the Hunter Biden laptop story, even though they knew it was true. The FBI now raided Mar-a-Lago because they hate Trump. And when they released this affidavit, they're thumbing their noses at us. 20 out of 32 pages are redacted because they do not care about the rule of law. They don't care about fairness. They don't care about justice. They just care about their radical leftist agenda. They just care about inventing a crime to charge President Trump with, convicting him, sending him to prison, and making sure that he can never run for president ever again, especially in 2024, especially against Joe Biden, because President Trump would crush Biden. So my question, my question, maybe you guys have answers. I'm gonna look at your answers right now. My question is, what more will it take before the conservative movement demands of our elected officials in Congress that we abolish the FBI? Farm out the, the vital functions. I'm all about that and raise the rest. At what point are our elected officials gonna be like, yeah, I think there might be a problem. This doesn't seem like what the FBI is supposed to do. This seems like what the KGB did. What's it gonna take? SJ Small says, all that taxpayer money used to facil facilitate these lies and hoaxes and we sit idle and say nothing. It's not that you and I sit idle and say nothing. It's that our elected officials are too worried about CNN attacking them. They're too worried about seeming uncool to the radical leftists that they don't actually take action. We are fortunate to have a few elected Republicans who are true culture warriors, who are true freedom fighters, who are true constitutionalists, who don't worry about the peer pressure from the left and the mainstream media. And those are the people that we should obviously give our support to, but we should vote. We should vote the squishes out and vote in people who will fight against what we are facing. And what we are facing is an FBI who respects nothing and a Biden administration who is totally fine with weaponizing the federal law enforcement agency, a federal law enforcement agency to target a private citizen because he kept a napkin or a newspaper clipping or a magazine in Mar-a-Lago and the National Archivist didn't like that. Literally, that's what's happening right now, right before our very eyes. Jomo says, good idea, farm out the vital functions. I think it's a good idea. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Shady, uh, Shady N says, if they get rid of Trump, won't they get DeSantis? Well, yes, they will get DeSantis or Cruz or Nome or whoever else is running for president. And they will probably try to stage the same sort of, it's actually above character assassination. It's, it's a legal assault or an assault using the legal system, even if it's not a legal assault. Um, they will tr probably try to do the same thing to that person too. Hopefully, the Republicans who are hoping to run for president after Trump, whether that's in 2024, whether that's in 2028 or beyond, 
hopefully they understand by watching what's happening what they need to do to protect themselves. I hope and I pray. Um, imagine, Cody says, imagine the snowflakes reaction if Trump wins again, <laughs> right? Uh, I pray that that day comes soon. I will, I will not feel sad for them. One little bit, one little bit. All right, so as I said at the beginning, I feel like the news, the breaking news of the week, sometimes they wait until Friday. They actually do that intentionally for this exact reason. It's not something that I've just independently noticed. It's, it's uh, the Friday news dump. They do it because people watch news shows less over the weekend than they do during the week. So they try to slide this stuff by. It's no coincidence that the affidavit dropped today. Fortunately, we, the American people, have our eyes on what's going on. They underestimated the fury of the American people and how the American people love our constitution and love our rule of law and want to continue to hand down our country to our children and our children's children as it was handed down to us. Um, so yeah, that's what I have. Thank you for spending part of your Friday with me. I appreciate it. I hope everyone has a really good weekend and you know, we may very well be back here talking again tomorrow, depending on what's happening. So, um, conservative says, I just got a postcard. Sorry, I got to interrupt. This is a really interesting thing. I just got a postcard from Dr. Oz that you won't believe. I'll post it on the newsfeed. Yes, please do. I'd be very interested in seeing that. Uh, Cody says, you guys have rule of law. Wish Canada had that. Oh, Cody, please. You're welcome in the United States anytime. Come join us here. Ken says, have a great weekend. Have a great weekend, everyone. And I'll talk to you soon.